The Third Man Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! Podcast is Jack White, Third Man in Records History Program, and I'm your co-host, Paul Kaminsky. I'm your other co-host, James Kaminsky. I'm all business today, James. Coming in hot. Whoa. <laughs> He's got a briefcase. He's got a suit and tie. He's ready. <laughs> Coming in hot, James. <laughs> I'm all play. Ooh, James is all play. So we're like the, 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 the dull boys. The Yeah, we're the dull boys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all work, you're no play, and we are the dull boys. <laughs> We're going to review chain restaurants still for some reason. Ah, <laughs> uh, we have fun. Um, welcome back to the program, everybody. We are nearing the season closer for this season of the Third Men podcast. We've done a lot this season, James. We have a couple more interesting things, we think, in store for you along the way. Um, a couple outstanding emails we're hoping get answered. <laughs> Um, but uh, we are zeroing in on the end, and one of the things that we still have to share with you all is, James, do you remember uh, You remember back last year when we no. did that open show? Oh, yeah, I did. I did remember that. We did a wonderful open show to kick off the season, and the open show, of course, included listeners of the show, fans and listeners of Third Man Records, submitting audio, video, artwork, fan art, etc., that uh, celebrated 
Third Man Records, as well as uh, we included some special guest performances and a special cameo from Ben Blackwell. We did a lot for that open show. Mm-hmm. It was a busy time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so one of the things that we still have from that open show that we never aired, James, is the full interview with April March and Fugu about... Uh, April March, a.k.a. Eleanor Blake's album, In Cinerama, which now, by the time of the recording of this podcast, has seen its wide release. And uh, we're finally sort of able to talk about it more in full, uh, more so than we could at the time when it was simply a record store day release, James. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful interview. April and Mehdi uh, were delightful to talk to, had a lot of fun stories to tell. And uh, yeah, it it was a great interview. I think you all will enjoy it. Yeah, so on March 18th of this year, 2022, uh, the album In Cinerama went wide, uh, released on Omnivore Records, and um, I also love that Omnivore classifies this, or at least Discogs does, in uh, partly as a, a Yay Yay album, um, which just makes me just very happy. And yeah, so we talked about In Cinerama. Now, of course, people who are familiar with Third Man Records and this podcast will remember April March, a.k.a. Eleanor Blake's name from a variety of things. We've actually talked to Eleanor in the past when she did her collaboration single with Ms. Olivia Jean. Mm -hmm. And she also was the illustrator for the children's book that Third Man released, uh, We're Going to Be Friends, uh, based Mm -hmm. on the song, We're Going to Be Friends by the White Stripes, and uh, she did a wonderful job with that, as well as doing a tour with Jack White to promote that book. That's right. Not a musical tour, necessarily, no. I, just, I want to say. Yeah, a spoken, yeah, spoken word, word tour, word. very yeah. poetic. Book tour, you say. <laughs> I uh, was fortunate enough to see that. That was wonderful. And yeah, when we talked to April the first time, when we had uh, her and Olivia Jean on, we talked a lot about the fact that she you know, got her start as a, an animator, and <laughs> she worked on Pee-wee's Playhouse, and she also did uh, the, the animation for the Madonna music video, Who's That Girl?, which is awesome. Wow. Uh, she's collaborated with Brian Wilson, Jack White, LL Cool J, John Richmond, Ronnie Spector. The list goes on. She might be most prominent in your minds if you're somewhat our age from um, the song Chick Habit, which was released in the 90s, but repopularized by Quentin Tarantino when included in Tarantino's 2007 film uh, Death Proof. Mm-hmm. Chick Habit, of course, um, is actually a cover of a, uh, a French Yay Yay song uh, from back in the 60s, uh, which also has its roots in third manness because that artist Franz Gall had uh, some of her recordings released on Third Man Records. So there's a lot of Aurora Boros or Ouroboros. There's a lot of yeah Aurororororos. You musician snakes eating their own tails here. May I see it? Oh, Seymour, the house is on fire. No, mother, it's just the Northern Lights. Anyway, uh, so yeah, Eleanor and uh, Mehdi Zanad, a.k.a. Fugu, uh, collaborated on this record. It is a, a released under her uh, solo moniker. However, Mehdi um, produced the record, co-wrote many of the tracks. In fact, wrote many of the tracks solo as well. The tracks he wrote solo on here, Runaway, Baby, Goodbye, which is a bonus track, and Friends Peculiar, which is also a bonus track. But it looks like most of the uh, songs here were co-written by Eleanor and Mehdi. And anyway, when we sat down with them for the open show, they actually detailed this album um, uh, for much longer than we included in the open show, primarily because 
you know, we had to kind of uh, make sure that everybody else had their uh, fair uh, share of time included in that episode. So we're going to air the full interview here. And we're really excited and and happy that uh, Eleanor and Mehdi had joined us for that. And we hope you all enjoy it too. We've only got, like I said, a couple more in this season, but we're really, really happy with everything that uh, has taken place in this season, all the interviews and all of the wonderful guests we've had on. Thank you to everyone who's continued to support us. James and I had some big life events that are both happening and impending that are requiring us to close the season just a wee bit earlier. But, uh, we'll, you know, we'll be back, you know, with our usual same bat. Yeah. Same taxidermied bat in a glass plate time. Uh-huh. Same taxidermied bat in a glass plate channel. Well, Paul, the way it smells, I think I smell a rat in that plate. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if you smelled that bat. Uh, James and I are also going to be seeing the Supply Chain Issues Tour, uh, James, again, for me, for the first time in the next couple weeks, so we're really excited about that, too. So anyway, everybody, enjoy the interview here, and without further ado, here's April March and Fugu. There we go. We'd like to welcome to the Third Men podcast some very special guests we have joining us again. We have April March. Welcome back, April. It's nice to see you. It's nice to see you too. And we also have joining us Mehdi Zanad, who is known as Fugu and has worked with you on your new record in Cinerama. Mehdi, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you. So, of course, we're talking about In Cinerama, which I happen to have here. Well, there's your head sort of floating around on the Zoom here. (laughs) Uh, I love this record so much. Holy crap. You both did amazing, amazing work together. Phenomenal. Thank you. Uh, In fact, I think, uh, Eleanor, I think this is... I think this is the best your voices even sounded maybe ever. Like, I think this is like, like, I think it's your <laughs> best vocal blush. ever. No, seriously, it's really, really good. Uh, so I, I, I wanted, I wanted to talk to you both a little bit about how this came together. Mehdi, we haven't had you on the show before, so you're first up here, but yeah. you know, your own music is so melodic and, and danceable and, and you know, it has that wonderful acoustic sort of beat flair and we hear a lot of kinship with Eleanor's music uh, within your yeah. own music. In fact, you two have collaborated before. There's a wonderful track uh, called Airport, which I really That's love. Right. And, yeah. Yeah. And that video is, is, is amazing, too. Like you spliced some images from the, I guess, the, was it the French version of the airport movie was in that as well as the American? There's plenty of different things. Décor, ton petit corps, 
serons mon épître. Je suis assis contre la vitre, car ta flamme a blémi. Yeah, that was our first collaboration. It's um, a bit discreet, so we we thought uh, that we should do something where uh, it it would be more plain to see uh, what we could do together. Yeah. Well, well, tell us a little bit how you got to meet each other. You were sort of around making music at the same time, but how did your paths first cross and how did that relationship evolve into Incinerama, the album we're talking about today? Uh, it was through a guy uh, called uh, Jean-Emmanuel, right, uh, Elinor? Is that the, he put us together through mail because he thought uh, he's a, a guy who's got a label in uh, Rouen and uh, and uh, he's, he he wrote me and he wrote to uh, Elinor saying you guys should meet should meet each other and from then. Um, we met in Paris when Elinor uh, came and uh, we exchanged previously on our uh, mutual shared uh, influences and what we liked about uh, each other's music. And uh, yeah, and we got along well and that's uh, it built up slowly and maybe uh, Elinor knows where uh, she can tell you uh, where, where the records really started because it was... It started from a demand from uh, Jonathan Cowett, right, uh, Elinor? Yeah, so there's a filmmaker um, named Jonathan Cowett. He's really known for his movie called Tarnation, uh-huh. which I don't know if you've seen that. It's an amazing film. It's about him and his mother, and it was produced by Gus Van Zant, and he made it for $120. <laughs> <laughs> Um, iMovie and it you know won all the awards and everything and then he did an all tomorrow's party movie which you might have seen Hmm. a film of that but um and some other stuff yeah he asked he liked both of our music and he asked me if we would do two songs for his new film Uh and so we did lift off kickoff yeah that that was that was an original and then he wanted us to do a cover of um down the line which is from a film called bless the beast and the children uh-huh. so we did those two songs and i think we thought oh these are pretty good <laughs> <laughs> yeah you've got a you got a bad habit of being asked to do like two songs and then doing like 50 so uh you know yeah. like when last yeah. we had you on you were in the studio with olivia jean to do one cover and instead you walked out with oh, a whole yeah. ep yeah. I, you've got a real problem with this eleanor i think you know we just i don't know because, uh, i don't know you know i always it happens because i only work with people that i really 
admire that I want to work with. So it's usually pretty implicit that once we get in the studio, it's going to be really fun. It's going to work really well. So I think, yeah, right, Mehdi, we just decided this sounds pretty good. Yeah, that's right. And uh, Eleanor pushed me to uh, to do more songs. So <laughs> it's uh, it's totally her initiative, and I thank her for that. But she kept on asking me for songs, and and uh, I wrote a couple of original ones because she sent me lyrics to write too, and that inspired me. And she said, "Okay, uh, maybe I can. We can use one of." The Fugu songs, and I, I would like to sing again uh, that one. And then I dug up some songs I, I never recorded, and so it happened like that. But it's uh, it's really Eleanor who pushed me to do it because that, I was at a period of time where I didn't especially wanted to to write, so she forced me to do it. <laughs> really, really happy to have done so. Oh, yeah, Maddie, I've I've had a great time getting to know your music. Um, I, I, I absolutely love it. I think I have I'd heard a bit, but I got really deep in when I was looking looking into uh, to putting these questions together. It's beautiful, beautiful stuff. So, Thanks. are you working on anything right now? Are you working on anything uh, on a movie? Uh, I wrote a score for a movie with a uh, Tr Rahim. I don't know if you he played in the. the the Mauritanian, you know, mm-hmm. that movie, and uh, the snake, and he's singing live songs, and uh, it's a French movie, and it's finished, and it's going to be released sometimes in spring, and that's that's what, what I did. So yeah. the last thing is Elinor's album. Otherwise, I'm, I'm a teacher uh, in a school of architecture, so I'm a bit busy with that. So. Yeah, yeah. Are you still, are there in-person classes or are you still doing yeah yeah we starting again uh in person we don't know what will happen during the year but last year it was half classes so it was more difficult it seems to be better that year this year sorry it's starting in two weeks so i don't i don't know it's still mm. kind of holidays right now, so Oof, good luck. <laughs> well, uh, I'm sorry I haven't been uh, piping up too much. I've been enjoying listening to this as if I'm listening to a, a podcast. So um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I was just kind of enthralled in all of the conversation going on and the charisma that that is not mine. But um, Eleanor, this is like your first LP release in about like almost ten years. I want to say since around like 2013. Am I right in saying that? Um, yeah, I think in between that, I did some soundtrack stuff with Bertrand Bureau. Okay. Um, and, the, and the We're Going to Be Friends uh, single, too. Yeah. Yeah. And then I did a, um, I started an album with a French group named Staplin. Staplin. Oh, nice. So that so, album is also finished. So I was kind of doing both. So was there a, was there a moment in this, like you, you said that, you know, you wanted to continue doing more songs after you started these, those first two, was there a moment that kind of clicked after that? Like that you said, like, this should be a full album, like that I should turn this into Incinerama, you know? I mean, yeah, it's just, I think, you know, I think especially, you know, um, we decided to ask Petra and Rachel Hayden to Mm -hmm. do the backing vocals 
And I don't know, that just all sort of sounded magical. And then yeah. I think there was this feeling of sort of wanting to do the very, almost like mamas and the mamas right? <laughs> yeah. situation. Right. A lot of, um, you know, backing vocal arrangements, because it's just, I mean, Medi's songs really lend themselves to that. And then, so there was that, but then also... Subsequently, I did a TV show in Paris with Tony Allen. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I just really wanted to do something with him. And so I kept writing to his manager over the course of a year to see if he would record with me. And then all of a sudden, I guess it was like Christmas Eve, I got an email from his manager saying, Tony is available for you <laughs> this one week in February. So that's it. So he's he's available. So I called Medi and I was like, "You have to. We have to write like four <laughs> songs." In yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's in uh, Elinor. She she puts people together a bit. It's like a filmmaker. So it's like it's a bit uh, like a movie. This album. So she she chose the. Kind of, uh, it's like uh, things happening between uh, Tony Allen and me. It's completely uh, incongruous for me, and it's it was a great experience. Uh, or so it was a, a great mixture, and uh, I think uh, yeah, she, she's like a cast. She did a, a great casting, and uh, yeah, that's what happened. And uh, we kind of both uh, directed the thing, like. Uh, but with great uh, entente, uh, we really went along together all the way and we trusted each other. And it was very complicated to, to do because it lasted a long time and there's a lot of people playing on it. So it's a really, I see it uh, as a movie. So it's a great result and it went straight to the end of it in uh, five or six years' time. It was like a ship to drive on a sea. It was a quiet sea. Everything went really, really well. People were great. So it's not like uh, an album done in the with pain or anything. It was a great pleasure to do. Yeah, this isn't your plastic Ono band. It sounds uh, it sounds oh. joyous. You know, it sounds there's a joy to it. And I love, by the way, it not only is it called Incinerama, but on the back here. I'm going to use my body to shield. Ah. We have an I- image of the uh, arc light. Well, the uh, what? The old Cinerama dome. Cinerama yeah, dome. I did. Do you I know who made that image? image? That's Maddie's artwork. Is yeah, it really? yeah. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, it's an etching yeah. I did. Uh, Are you kidding me? No, yeah, he's uh, amazing. I thought this was, oh my God, I'm seeing it now. I thought this was a photo. No, no it's Maddie's etching. Holy crap. I'm sorry. You're catching me by surprise here. This, yeah. you fooled, this is amazing. Wow. Yeah. Now that I'm seeing this detail, it's phenomenal. In fact, it's a reconstruction of how it was in the 60s. So Yeah. Because we met in LA to, to do some stuff for the album. And I, at the same time, I did uh, take uh, documentation uh, in LA of drawings i wanted to do and amongst them there was the cinerama but now they built around it uh yeah a horrible uh, thing uh, like more 
and so and so I reconstructed from old postcards and my pictures, uh, the pictures I took with this is the point of view of my picture at the time, uh, the state it was in in the sixties, and uh, what I noticed in once upon a time in Hollywood, there's a right. glimpse of the building, and it's the nowadays state. You know, you see the, the thing around it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they didn't suppress the. So I uh, I saw that, and I was really surprised. The Tarantino let this uh, like that because it's a very meticulous uh, reconstruction. I have a. I'm going to write him a very strongly worded letter about this. I think. Yeah, you should. It's really shocking. Maybe he will erase it digitally uh, uh, and pull back all the DVDs. And, uh, now, in in the defense of the horrible strip mall that popped up around it, there's a very good yeah. sushi place there. Uh, you paid <laughs> off of a conveyor belt. It's, it's lovely. I mean. Uh, in reality, Paul just wants that in the etching. He wants that and like a yeah. giant inflatable minion from Despicable <laughs> Me just sitting on yeah. top of it. Well, they, it's so sad that uh, one of the great sort of, uh, what, what, how should I phrase this? One of the great disappointments of the COVID era <laughs> is that... Well, there's, yeah. there's only a couple, Paul. Well, <laughs> well that's why I said, I wasn't going to say tragedy because there are greater tragedies. This is more of a great disappointment in the COVID era is that, yeah, it is no longer uh, in operation, although we're hoping somebody swoops in to mm. save uh, Arclight and the Cinerama Dome. Because uh, I really don't want the last movie I saw there to be Kong Skull Island, which, by the way, I loved, but I feel like I need a better one <laughs> to land on there. The Cubs? Man, not even close. Were they ever good? Happens to be my team. Where are you from? Detroit. Okay, well, yeah, the Tigers, they, they win it all this year? Oh, no. Without it, yeah. It's, they closed They closed the, the cinema, right? They sold it. Or... Yeah, I don't know actually who owns it right now, but it's not open to my knowledge. But it was like up in the air for a little while there. We'll see. Hmm. You know. Yeah, it's a shame. Uh, to, to get back to, uh, to the album here, Eleanor, I had mentioned earlier how blown away i was by your voice on this record i mean i i really do think it's the best you've ever sounded your voice has this full really um epic kind of quality to it and i just wanted to ask you a little bit about how you've approached vocals over the years because you know i i would imagine that from one project to another, you may take maybe a slightly different approach to how you're singing something, or of course you're multilingual. Sometimes you sing in French and, and sometimes you sing in English. So was there a, a unique take to your vocal that you, uh, that you took on this album? No, I mean, I just think that, you know, Maddie's melodies are really, um, they're so, they're so great to sing, you know, it has to do with his melodies, but also I think, you know, the reason it took five or six years is because it was the first album I paid for myself. Yeah, so it do was it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was sort of like, you know, I would get some money together and then we would go to L.A. and do whatever. Or I'd go to Paris and then yeah. there'd be a gap. So there were songs that were recorded a few times and corrected and re-sung. And, um, you know, there was really... There was a lot of time yeah. to perfect them. <laughs> mm. Right, maybe? Yeah, we... I, mean, I think we, we I think I real, made song, a bunch of songs, didn't I? We did a real production uh, work, like really... Um, 
taking the time to do uh, to play live. Mostly uh, the we we did have a, a basis which is live the drums, bass, guitar. Yeah. So all, all is done like that to to and then we have we did like in the sixties so we had a few versions which were a bit uh, faster. Mm. A couple of songs, and we picked up things, and so it was uh, done in a kind of old-fashioned way. The stars are calling. They want to move you. The clouds have fallen. They want to light the world for you. They want to show you all the things we do. in a real studio in a big studio in, in France but I had some uh, cheap uh, rates because uh, I had some of my old gear my, I have a, a lot of keyboards which were uh, stuck there and used by musicians who go there so uh, we kind of had a bit more time than we, we should have and uh, we worked in various places we worked also in, uh, in LA so maybe it's you wanted to talk about the LA parts later, uh, Elinor, because it was done both in Paris, in the suburbs. So in yeah. that studio, which is the Vogue studio, it was the, the studio, which was a facility, which was built in the suburbs of Paris, like a bunker, uh, a big uh, concrete bunker, uh, and which was right uh, uh, next to the plant, which was pressing the vinyls for Vogue in the, in the 70s. It was built in the 70s. And in that studio, uh, François Hardy, uh, Jacques Dutronc, Gersbourg recorded there. So it's all wooden, uh, a big um, wooden box with a big studio and a smaller one. So we used both. And uh, we recorded in a, in a small house, the place where Andy Pele works with um, a sound engineer who works there. Uh, can you help me uh, with uh, the name, Elinor? Oh, with Jake, yeah. With yeah, Jake it's awesome. Gillian. It's Jake. Yeah, awesome, awesome. So awesome, we worked awesome. there. That's in Pasadena. Yeah, and we did one song uh, and a few things, um, which was really exceptional uh, at... Uh, we, we worked in the studio where I recorded like Chick Habit and everything. Oh, wow, really? Well, that one, yeah, because um, we were working at Jake Gideon's studio in Pasadena, but it's just in his basement under the house. So when we had, when we invited Marilyn Wilson, yes, yeah. we just thought she should have the <laughs> gold standard. Sure, yeah, naturally. So, um, 
And that's also the studio where I did um, a bunch of recording with Brian Wilson. Right. That that never saw the light of day, right? Yeah. So um, we have to get on that, by the way. We got to make sure that gets I'm on out. it. Actually. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I'm on it. But um, <laughs> so, yeah, so we worked in that studio. That's Mark Lynette's studio in Glendale. It's called Your Place or Mine. That's right. Yeah, right here in Glendale. I recorded a lot, you know, take out of it, all the Paris and April, the Los Cinco's albums, those were all done there. But so we did that with, um, we did two songs there. So I think the point being like, you know, a lot of the, if you're just talking about my vocal performance, a lot of the other records that you've heard by me that, you know, the vocals are done like in a, in a day and they're done. Yeah. Huh. One, I don't sort of one take, one take kind of stuff. Yeah. Like it's just, you know, this is, it was the thing of just, you know, an album being done like, you know, all those like Paris and April, those were all done pretty compactly and quickly and I didn't I didn't really sing over and over yeah. certain things or we didn't have lots of versions yeah it was just a different process Any temptation, I have to ask, was there any temptation to sing inside the Cinerama Dome at any point in time? Mm. Or did that name come later? The name came later. Okay. I think it's just, you know, I think I saw the etching and I thought, oh, right? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of it was such the, an amazing piece of artwork. Yeah, it was really, it's part of the story because I, I did these things. When yeah, while we were recording. Yeah, so it's part of the story. So, yeah, so uh, yeah, it's we also worked in a studio in Paris called Solaris. Yeah, there's also a French studio, so it was forced to vocals. There were some vocals were done there and overdubs, yeah, which was more like uh, Jake's basement. It was a a flat in near Père Lachaise where uh, I've got a friend who's a sound engineer and they brought in an enormous uh, mixing uh, desk without saying, so it happened before we recorded, but uh, he brought in a, an enormous mixing desk and they completely destroyed all the, because it was an, on the first floor and it was a whole story because the, the neighbors don't know that there's a, <laughs> a studio in a flat it's like an average flat uh, a small Persian flat for yeah. a student and there's half of the place was filled with this mixing desk so it's wow and they complete they told nobody uh, uh the sound engineer ng and his friend and they completely uh they they had to force it through the walls and everything <laughs> You know, in the common parts of the building, yeah, and, uh, they had to repaint the whole, uh, the whole, and uh, everything. So and they never knew it was because there was this this desk inside. So we recorded uh, <laughs> quite a lot of things there. All the the other, quite a bit of uh, other dubs and vocals. Yeah, we used the big studio for Tony uh, for all the live takes. Yeah. 
You know, when somebody is furiously trying to soundproof an apartment, it's usually to do murder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They do the murder in it. Exactly. Can't hear so. the screaming is what I'm getting at. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was there wasn't any soundproofing, so it was totally no. very rude. It was just a desk. Yeah. And Elinor had to sing inside a closet. Dresses and things, and she was singing into it. Yeah. There was a mic into it. And so, it so on, the, on the album, can you hear anybody from the houses next door banging yeah, on the walls so with a broom? No, it's a quiet building. The, it worked because the, it, it was quiet. It was uh, on a alleyway uh, behind. Okay. It wasn't My really. Yeah, it was cool. So, and uh, we spent quite uh, some time there. Awesome. But there was, we did a lot of vocals there when I had the flu. Do you remember uh, that? And they had to be redone because you could. Yeah, well, yeah. Like we did all these vocals, and then afterwards it was like, oh, it sounds like I have a cold. <laughs> I, redid, I redid them, I think, in LA. Yeah. We had a lot of time to rethink and re-listen, so it was like wine, the, the, the vocals and the re- <laughs> all the arrangements, a bit everything. It was like uh, we really, really took a lot of uh, steps back all the time to evaluate things. Sure. So, uh, so that kind of uh, leaves a timeless, uh, timeless thing. It's good that it's timeless because... Uh, it's gonna be really in one year, so it's uh, it just floats in the air. So it's it's great. Yeah, it's yeah. great that way. It's cool. Um, so there's there's amidst all of this wonderful singing, there's um the this this brass section that that kind of sometimes has like this haunting quality to it, going through mm-hmm. along this bright singing, and then there's like songs like Eleanor Blue that have this harmony going, but with this later Bowie style horns kind of bringing some dramatic flair to it. Is there any way that, is there a specific way that you, you guys try to deploy uh, sounds like that or, or string or horn sections into the music? Is there a way you decide uh, this, this part needs a big yeah. joyous ending? <laughs> It's more like uh, the music just uh, asks for it. So it's, you know, uh, when yeah. you listen, you hear the missing instruments and uh, you know that this needs a brass section and it should sound uh, raspy or that way. And uh, How did no, you hide uh, the brass band coming into that little apartment with the <laughs> mixing board? You know, it's, the, uh, that, that's that, that was that's oh, no, that's not Pasadena. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we we did it through uh, Skype, and for for this these instruments, it sounded crap, but it's great because you you hear, you know, it's very it was very raspy, and so it it worked uh, even with uh, with uh, those conditions. We could communicate, and I got exactly uh, what I wanted. Yeah, but I was there. they were very well recorded. It's just yeah, like, Eddie was on Skype in Paris, and I, I was, was checking. Yeah, you yeah, could yeah. check the intentions. It's just uh, I wanted to be sure uh, that it was the the right uh, 
the the right uh, dynamics, the good moments. So I was more uh, for that for the sound. Uh, there was uh, Jake and uh, Eleanor, and and then the musicians were brilliant. Uh, yeah, they're really those are yeah. like the best LA uh, brass yeah. in LA. Top class, and it was really showed when uh, when they played. To the, yeah, it's Mike Holger and James King. Yeah, yeah. The uh, there's the strings too on this album are gorgeous. There's a, a song "Baby." Um, there's just these oh, lovely strings that culminate into this big kind of burst of an ending. a history right with with classical instrumentation right i think i'd seen that one a member of your family maybe your sister had played violin on your first ep eddie yeah that's right yeah 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 she i did the conservatory so i have some training in uh, classical music but for one song we had uh, it was more difficult uh, i must say for romeo it was I couldn't find the right uh, thing to do because uh, it was deconstructed. The song was really complicated, and we called uh, Sean O'Hagan to to do it. And uh, he came he came up with this strangely uh, vanier. Uh, so in, in fact, he did a French arrangement, <laughs> but it's bizarre, but exactly bizarre as it should have been. So when he sent us a demo, the first demo of this, and I thought, yeah, this is exactly what it needs. Yeah. Because it was just like little flashes of uh, strings. And it was uh, really hard to uh, to see how, how the players would play it because we used two different orchestras, which is the cool thing about this album. I never did that. There was a big orchestra which was recorded in in Skopje, uh, which is in um, Macedonia. And there's a small quartet uh, from musicians from the Opera of Paris who played in the in a small studio. And they're, they're the ones the playing on Baby. Okay. So the quartet is playing on Baby? So it's uh, classy all the way, except... Uh, and it's what's nice about the contrast of it, uh, singing in a closet and uh, all these things. So it's really nice. It's like uh, if we had planned this in advance, uh, the storytelling of this couldn't have been better, any better or different. It was uh, it was uh, really great. Yeah. Well, you mentioned uh, Open Your Window, Romeo. I, I wanted to yeah. talk about that song for a second the yeah it's such a grandiose closer like i don't know where else you put that song on the record other than the the end yeah. right because that's the only place <laughs> it can go really that's but right. uh, when you're when you're writing a song like that do you get the sense when you're writing it that it's going to take on 
this kind of epic flair or is that something that's more sculpted in the studio? Is that do you see the potential in it in its in its infancy? I guess is my question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have when I write a song, I, I know uh, how it how it will sound uh, like any except for you cited the uh, the airport. Yeah, French song. I didn't produce it. It went into a kind of electro retro thing. But when I write songs classically, uh, I know. And uh, for instance, this song, I wrote it for Tony Allen because uh, I knew that he he would be here and uh, that he would play songs. uh, That he would. And it would be grandiose because it was Tony Allen. (laughs) We had to to uh, had to think. I wrote it uh, with him in mind, and uh, so. I knew that I should leave gaps for him to do fills. And uh, then uh, if he did fills, I had to think that there might be some counterpoint to this and sure, that yeah. be big or something. So uh, it built up really uh, at an early stage that way. And we did it for another song, which is called... Uh, so the, the, fun, the fun thing is that I wrote it just two days before. Uh, <laughs> and the other one, I didn't even write it. So I, I thought this should be really 60s for the songs I write, especially for Tony Allen. It should be on a dangerous, you know... Um, uh, line and taking risks and there's a, another song uh, which wasn't finished when Tony Allen came in the studio uh, which is uh, I don't how is it called it's uh, Rola Rola no 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 that one was uh, an old song so yeah that was an old song which one Stand oh, in the Sun yes yeah, yeah. so it's oh, done several parts and it was a nightmare and to assemble and but it works really well i'm really happy with that song because of this quality of risk he was stepping in the studio and with the guitarist Olivier we were trying to figure out the the middle section it was really crazy because uh, we didn't know how it if he was patient or anything and uh, at the time I didn't know um, if he was if he would take time to listen and uh, give us advice and uh, so I thought maybe he would hear us do this and he would do he would he would come to us and and he would try things and it was very different because he just wanted to play and play and play. But so uh, we, we had to sense what he wanted. And uh, so I have different types of songs for him. So we try different ways. And the most successful is Romeo because there's this gap things uh, where I leave him the, the space to do this. And um at the time we did because we did two sessions with him we did Elinor's blues mm. i really understood how he worked and that he wanted us to look at each other in the eye while we were playing 
And so when uh, I watched him in the eye, he would do a role. Uh, <laughs> he would know, and he was smiling and doing the role. Uh, and uh, <laughs> it was really uh, funny and impressive at the same time. Yeah. So uh, and I knew he was happy, and that was the last song we recorded with him. And uh, so on the last song, I really uh, kind of um, made my way to what he how he worked on what, what pleased him. So um, it was really nice to have this moment was really cool. Uh, so that's mm, one of my best memories of the album is that the, the ex exchange because we recorded all these basic tracks live. Uh, so that's uh, important because yeah. it's more lively. done in little bits but there's a strong uh, a strong basis to to the recording of the songs right right you mentioned like having having a pretty set plan for for how you want things to sound uh, mm. when it comes to your your writing style is there a, a difference when you're co-writing do you do you come in with a plan i know we've talked actually to eleanor about this the last time she was with us about her production styles there are plan you typically have when you're co-writing a song or do you just kind of see where the track takes you uh, like you were saying with the with the brass and the strings just knowing that this fits here and this fits here you mean co-writing uh Elena writing lyrics and me writing the music yeah is there is there a, a way you kind of steer a song like that or, or do you just kind of know that you might be able to better understand the song once you get lyrics attached to it or there's no formula so it worked uh, differently for every song so uh stand in the sun was done uh in small parts so it was uh from uh, Elinor's lyrics so it was a uh, Different processes, and there's a couple of covers uh, like uh, "Born," which is a song I wrote before for my first album, and uh, Elinor wanted to do a, a, an English version. Yeah, uh, and uh, there's also uh, the song on which uh, Marine Wilson sings, which is uh, "California Four, Right? That's yeah. the right name because we think it. Yeah, so. Uh, so there's these two songs and there's the songs that I had um, like Rola Rola, which was more in what you describe, like some process which yeah. evolves. And here it's, uh, yeah, it's totally unplanned. So uh, how it worked, it, it came out as a kind of reggae, uh, yeah. strange uh, song. Yeah, it's more, it, it applies to the uh, classical sounding songs it's more the arrangements are all there in the song so you just know that it needs this and that and that it should sound like that
and that's a work with the sound engineer and the, the musicians and uh, Tony Allen who added his thing and it was a bit clumsy and bizarre and we had to cut uh, his drumming uh, in the verses so it happened uh, that it worked with a lot uh, a lot of production work from the from the different sound engineers and we ended up with this thing uh, which sounds like uh, clumsy uh, a mix of something clumsy and uh, it's a bizarre song which uh, i love (laughs) (laughs) and it's a nice nice blend to have all these different stuff on an album because it's uh, it doesn't sound like one direction it's uh, yeah it's uh, organic so uh, that's what uh, what we wanted yeah like uh, i mean open your window romeo has sort of a genre bending quality to it and mm. i love rider divide it's a wonderful uh, kickoff to side too but again a very different vibe than some of the other tracks yeah. i think my favorite on there actually is rolla rolla uh, oh, yeah, cool. <laughs> it's got a real, I mean, I, I described it in my notes as sort of quasi ska ish <laughs> or like quasi. Ska? Ska it's like Afrobeat ska. Right. Yeah. A little. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but and, was, yeah. But Eleanor, your voice was so suited for that because you're doing it with a, it, what sounds as though a genuine, you know, quality, whereas like, Sometimes that that kind of music uh, is is a little tough uh, to to pull off in a genuine way, but because there seems like so much love there for the song, um, I just I really love that. Really, really love that track. I was gonna I was gonna ask about the co-write process, but you already sort of touched on that, uh, Medi. <laughs> uh, Eleanor, did you have anything to contribute on Rolla Rolla? Is yeah, I mean, what I I would say about that, like um, I think you know, a big thing for me was just knowing about, um, well, I was just excited to have all these other friends singing on it. Yeah. All these other female vocalist friends. So that was very, like, I thought a lot about that. And I think Maddie did too. Like when we, when the songs were arranged, it was always like, okay, but Petra and Rachel are going to be singing on this. So, or keep in mind that, you know, Lola and Bennett are on this. I think they were always very present, right, Maddie? there needed to be a lot of space for them like for instance um you know like rolla rolla uh those those backing vocals i just think are so great but there's, it's very you know like i cast them very specifically like lola kirk is she's very like kind of sexy and um it's a totally different voice. It's not the same as the Haydens. And yeah. then Bennett has a very particular voice. So you put the whole thing together. And so, you know, it's like a, it's a whole little world. Yeah. But with just... other vocalists. And then of course, you know, you get a song where you have Tony Allen and then Marilyn Wilson. So you've got the Beach Boys <laughs> and Afrobeat. <laughs> you know, for me, that was just, um, I think that was a lot of the love too. I mean, I loved the music, but to have all these, mm. I mean, that's my, you know, cause I, everything sort of goes girl group for me at some point. Cause that's just my roots. Yeah. yeah. And so this was really the first record besides, you know, my first band, the Pussy Willows, where we were like really going for it. Yeah. Like it was like just, 
right. more and more and more like on ride or divide. Um, I love those backing vocals. I just love them. There's a point where yeah. Lola's doing this whole thing, which is just like, whoa, you know, and it's this beautiful arrangement that Medi wrote. Yeah. Um, I, I, in the, the middle of the song, she says, Car- uh, she says, carry to me or something like that. And it's just, uh, I don't know. It sounds like, <laughs> I don't know what it sounds like. It's sort of like chocolate watch band meets. Yeah. That's, that's you know, this whole yeah. sort of like, it's yeah. not even girl group, but you know, maybe more, a little bit more like the mamas and the papas like that era more mm-hmm. than yeah. girl group era. So for me, like, you know, vis-a-vis just saying, like, my vocals are different. I think that's a big difference. It's, it's a real joy for me to sing with a whole bunch of, you know, girls. Because, you know, often, um, like, when we were doing, um, I don't think I did that with Lo- Lola's vocals were done in in New York. And I don't think, oh, yeah, I think I did sing a little bit off mic with her, too. Because yeah. usually if you just have one vocalist singing, you need to fill it out a little bit. So I would stand like, you know, maybe like eight feet away from the mic just to fill it out a little bit. Right. But it's so much fun. There's nothing funner for me than singing with other people. Uh, well, there's the Sonics, so. the Sonic space that you've both built on this record is just vast. I mean, there's <laughs> like, it, it bears repeat listens because not only do you have all those wonderful harmonies, but all the instrumentation takes you by surprise. And sometimes even the panning takes you by surprise. And you're like, what the hell was that? And yeah. it, it, it's, it, it's like, uh, it feels cinematic, you know, it's fitting mm-hmm. that the album is called Incinerama because it has a, a sort of sweeping kind of cinematic, dramatic, uh, flair to it. And I got to tell you, I know I'm gushing about this thing, you two, but I love this record. This record is very, very good. I, <laughs> it has been a, a, an absolute joy to talk to you both, uh, listeners, uh, and, and viewers, uh, to the, uh, third men podcast open show, uh, check your local record shops. This, uh, limited edition version was out on record store day in this past July, I think July 17th. So uh, everybody should be checking, um, April March's, uh, social media and website and stuff for updates. There's, there's bound to be more in the future. Yeah. We that's what I meant to say is that one. As the, the part you, the, part you, the, the awkward cut you saw there was me saying something I shouldn't have said. Yeah, no, it's fine. Um, uh, speaking of uh, Eleanor, I wanted to let you know um, the shitbirds have been on a heavy rotation for me uh, okay. for for a while. At specifically at work while I'm while I'm doing uh, while I'm animating at work, um, and I have three monitors and on one of them has like the music I'm listening to. And I, d- I don't really pay much attention to it, but just in big letters, it just said the shit birds and it's a corporate <laughs> environment. And my boss walked by that and he went, huh? Um, <laughs> Well, the boss is coming down. You might want to just minimize that. I'm like, oh, oh, yeah. All right. But the music is great, and it's been helping me out quite a bit. And uh, thank you for that. Very well. <laughs> anyway, James has been fired, and it's all your fault. 
Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh well. Well, those were animators, the ship birds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, it's been it's been quite engaging to to animate too. So thank you. Uh, so check out uh, more of uh, Medi's music uh, online. Uh, Medi, where can where should people go to to find more of your music? You have a Bandcamp, right? Uh, the last release was uh, a duet I did with a um, singer who's called the girl called Eddie, and we did a, an album called The Last Detail. Uh, which was released by Elephant Records. And otherwise, there's my French album called. Uh, Fugue under my name, Medizana, and the two uh, Fugu albums, As Found and Fugu One. So there's uh, all on uh, Spotify, and uh, you can find all this on the on any uh, any platform. Uh, so yeah, so, yeah, so yeah, yeah they're, they're easy to find. So uh, I don't know in physical on vinyl, uh, it's more rare. I think I think the last detail was. Distributed by Dollar Record, Dollar. Uh, so you probably could find them, and the the others, the the they quite sold out the the vinyls because they were different uh, reddition ratios, and uh, so uh, you can listen to them on uh, Spotify or now digitally. Yeah, get those streams. We got to get those dollar dollars rolling. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so stream that stuff, everybody. And if you like, if if people like the songs on Incinerama, the one Californian Fall, that one is from uh, the Fugu album called As Found. And then the other one that's called Born is from the first Fugu album. One. What's the first album called, maybe? Called the Fugu One. Fugu, Fugu One. So you yeah. should check out. Um, the Medi Zanad albums, but also Fugu One and As Found are really great. And nice. uh, as we talked about last time you were on, uh, Eleanor, the uh, the wonderful work you did with uh, Ms. Olivia Jean, who I'm supporting here with my Night Owl. Oh, yay! <laughs> uh, is, uh, is available now on, on Third Man Records. And uh, if you have it for some reason, check that out yet, which I don't know why you would not have. Uh, please do that. Uh, Eleanor, any plans to maybe play the Blue Room uh, or something like that? Any? I mean, Olivia and I are hoping, you know, at some point to do that. It, the, they did open the Blue Room, so it's, yeah, it's a bar now. Yeah, I know. What I understand, like Thursdays or like it's like three days a week or something. It's a bar now, yeah. But. Yeah, and you know, Olivia has been out um, playing some shows. You probably saw on her social media. So, I mean, I think as things are opening up. We'll see, but yeah, it'd be great. To our, and also, crossed. yeah. Thank you both so much. Uh, well, thank you. Yeah, we really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. Yeah, anytime. Yeah. yeah, thank you both so much.
Well, James, that was another lovely interview we had here, and we hope you all enjoyed it. Again, April March's album, In Cinerama, available on CD via Omnivore Records. And if you're lucky enough to hit up Discogs or eBay or something to get your hands on the Record Store Day version of the vinyl, uh, you should do that as well. I did, and I enjoy it very much. I like having it around. I find her voice to be very relaxing. It is. It is quite relaxing. I enjoy listening to uh, to her music often, especially while I cook. Very nice. I like relaxing music while I cook, Paul. You heard it here first, folks. James Hello. likes relaxing music while he cooks. This has been a unnecessary <laughs> tangent. <laughs> this is the kind of hard-hitting journalism you get from the other brother who who barely hosts this show. The other... <laughs> <laughs> oh james I, I picked the wrong week to quit drinking i tell you <laughs> um all right well so we're gonna be back here like i said again we do have some i hope exciting things coming up soon we had a very uh very exciting agree to do the interview thing that is sort of in limbo at the moment not to not to part the kimono too wide but we're hoping that that comes through and if it doesn't we'll find something else cool for you to, sh- uh, yeah. to uh, have here at the end of the season. We actually have another one coming up. Don't forget, by the way, everyone, I put this on our social channels. If you want to submit your recorded review of the Supply Chain Issues Tour, if you've seen it, record yourself on whatever device. Could be a voice recorder. Could be whatever. I don't care. Eight track, please. Eight track. Email that file of you reviewing the show to thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. And we'll run it in a future episode. We're planning on a supply chain issue spotlight episode. And so we really want to hear from everybody. Please uh, send us your review. We want to hear what you thought of the supply chain issues tour. We want to hear what you thought of the opening act. We want to hear what you thought of the set list. We want to hear all that stuff. Uh, yeah, do that. Do, do that. I was going to make a dumb joke. Didn't happen. Um, so, yeah, do that. Again, this is the hard-hitting... That was like watching an, like one of those sh- NASA shuttle liftoffs, but like right as it's about to yeah. leave the ground, it just literally <laughs> falls over and crushes a, a school bus full of children. <laughs> Paul, I'm not smelling. I'm not tasting. <laughs> My jaw is clicking. <laughs> We're potentially going to have a pizza party. There's lots happening. Um. All right, everybody. Well, until next time, I will be looking for a home in the school bus that's about to be crushed by James's half-thought. Oh, boy. I'll be looking for a home on that rocket. (laughs) At 4.55 p.m. Bye. Bye. The Third Man Podcast was created, edited, and produced by Paul and James Kaminsky. Our theme song, We're the Third Men, was recorded by the band Radkey, who can be found at radkey.net. To contact the show, visit thirdmenpodcast.com or email thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at the third men underscore podcast on Instagram, at third men cast on Twitter, and search the third men on Facebook. Thanks to our Patreon patrons, to everyone who has rated, reviewed, and subscribed, and see you next time.
That's plenty. Woof. Hey everybody, Paul here with a quick message for you. As James and I mentioned many times on the show, this podcast is 100% not-for-profit and a labor of our love for music. We pride ourselves in bringing you interesting, timely content as we have these past 100-plus episodes. Podcasting is, however, a weirdly expensive process, and we actually lose money on hosting, time, equipment, advertising, and all the other little things that we need to do to make these shows for you. So, to help break even on some expenses like those, James and I have set up a Patreon account where you can, if you like, chip in a few bucks to help keep the lights on. It can be as much or as little as you can swing, and all donations are greatly appreciated. The last thing we want to do is hound anybody for cash, so just know that listening to our show is always payment enough. But if you would like to help us out, that would be amazing. All right, that's all from me. Remember, you can head to patreon.com slash thirdmenpodcast, and a huge thank you to everyone who's donated already. All right, everybody, I'll see you on the show. And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. You are all invited to join us on a magical mystery trip through the lives of the Beatles every week on the Yesterday and Today podcast. This show details the chronological journey of the world's most famous band using music, interviews, and rarities collected since the debut of John, Paul, George, and Ringo onto the world stage. We're a fan-made production and we're available now on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. So sit back, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show.